There has been a lot to react to this year, and I mean a lot. Rosh Hashanah is when we hit the pause button and we examine our lives and our reactions to what is external from us. After a year where it seems we're reacting at nearly a daily pace to the attention-grabbing news of the moment, today is set aside to ask one fundamental question that seems more relevant than ever. What is my responsibility in this world? How individuals and nations react to the moment they're in is remembered for generations. There are the incredibly heroic stories of the Danish people in World War II and how they saved thousands of Jews. And these are not stories that have died with time. They're stories that are held proud to this day. When I was a student rabbi, I served a congregation in Solvang, California, a small little Danish town. My first day there, the Danish pastor of the church where we would hold services on Friday night and on Saturday morning could not wait to tell me of the bravery and the good deeds of his Danish ancestors and what they did to save the Jews of World War II. In 1943, it was leaked that all of the Jews of Denmark would be rounded up within two days. Danes were forced with a quandary. Were they going to do something for the Jews that were an integral part of their daily lives? With clarity of their responsibility in the world, Ordinary citizens all over the country offered refuge in churches, attics, country homes, and residences. It's even reported that strangers walked up to Jews on the streets to offer them keys to their apartments. Medical staff hid more than 1,000 Jews in Copenhagen hospitals. And on the night of the raid, Germans only found 284 Jews out of a population of almost 8,000. And to this day, Danes all over the world hold on to this memory of how in the face of evil and injustice, they stood up. But not all stories are like that from World War II. We as a country were also confronted with a choice. When a ship, the St. Louis, it sails from Hamburg, Germany, with 938 Jews trying to flee the Holocaust, dreaming of stepping ashore onto these shores of America. But their boat was turned away by bureaucrats in the State Department. The ship, it came so close that the passengers could actually see the lights of Miami. And I can only imagine what it was like staring at those lights of safety ashore and the sounds of the tears of the passengers and the waters that lapped against the hull of the boat as it turned around and headed back to Europe where nearly a third of those passengers would be murdered, 254 of them. We look back at time and examine and judge how individuals acted, not on how they internalized events or how they felt. Americans, with the authority to help, failed the test on June 4, 1939. Danes recount to this day how their forebears stood up to darkness and power and saved innocent lives in October of 1943. On Rosh Hashanah, that is what we do. We pause and we look at how we are reacting externally to the world. Are we taking responsibility? 
Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are radically different than any other holiday. Every other holiday is commemorating an event. Every other holiday is focused on what is outside of us. But Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are not about an event or a celebration. Today, our focus moves from how we internalize events outside of us to, most importantly, how we react to them. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are not something separate from you. Rather, they are solely about you. If today's primary focus is us, how do we measure if we are on the right track? What does it mean to be a good Jew? And what is expected of us? Rabbi Edward Feinstein teaches a profound lesson about how the Torah addresses this fundamental question. Feinstein draws our attention to where our story begins, when Abraham is called by God for the very first time in Genesis 12. V'yomer Adonai el Avram lechlecha. The Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. This first part of the Torah narrative is a classic hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell points out in his 1949 groundbreaking book. A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonders, coming back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. But you see, Judaism suddenly veers away from the classic hero's narrative and takes a turn like no other text in the history of the world prior to this moment. Vahaya bracha, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you. And all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Vahaya bracha, and you shall be a blessing. This is revolutionary. Because suddenly Abraham is expected to be a blessing. Not to walk around the world saying, Baruch Adonai. Nope. His essence, his being, is in and of itself a blessing. You see, Abraham is chosen. What he does in the world serves to guide the rest of the world as how to fulfill their responsibility. Suddenly, how he carries himself and who he is internally will inform how he reacts externally to the world. Abraham now has agency and sets the example of how to take the world from what it is to what it ought to be. And this is what it means to be a blessing. This is what it means to be a good Jew. But how is a good Jew supposed to react? The Torah teaches us to examine the rest of Abraham's life. It begins with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, we read, Now the Lord had said, Huh, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now I've got to stop here. Because the first verse is as strange as it gets. First off, you're in God's head. You actually hear God's thinking. And secondly, God is asking God's self if God should hide what God's doing from Abraham. Now, Feinstein asks, is God required to tell Abraham what God is going to do? Of course not. You're God for God's sakes. Wouldn't you think 
that the all-powerful ruler of the universe would not need to consult with Abraham? You'd think. But something has changed because God is in relationship with Abraham. God can no longer just make fiat decisions. When you are in partnership, things change. So God comes forward and tells Abraham that the sins are so great in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that God is going to destroy them and all their inhabitants. Now the common reaction if God tells you that God's going to do something is to say, okay, all right, you're God. It's your world. You created it. I'm just a subject of yours. But you see, that would only be the case if your relationship with God were that of a passive subject. But this is not the relationship Abraham has with God now, now that he's a blessing. And by Abraham, I am referring to every Jew that has come after him, which means all of us. While being a blessing is unprecedented, this next part of this Torah passage is even more shocking. Vayigash Avraham. Abraham Vayigash. Abraham came forward and said, will you sweep away the innocent along with the guilty? Now that word vayigash, it means to come near, to persuade, to fight by speaking stern words. It's not just standing up and having a conversation. In fact, it is the same Hebrew verb found in 2 Samuel when waging war. You see, Abraham does not bow, but rather moves into conflict with God questioning God, and ask God if God is really going to kill an entire city if there are 50 innocent people residing there. And then Abraham says, which means, who do you think you are? You're going to kill innocent people along with the guilty. Who do you think you are? You call yourself a God of justice. Abraham is calling out God and saying his view of the world is more just and ethical than God's. Abraham is not going to stand by silently in the face of such injustice. And he gets in God's face and calls God out because this is now Abraham's world. One for which he is to take responsibility. And what happens? Does a lightning bolt come down and strike Abraham? No. God says, okay, you're right. Your view of the world is more just than mine. Abraham is not struck down, but rather he is rewarded for arguing, for pushing, and for questioning. And we as Jews, we should read this and think, huh, if it's okay to stand up to the creator of the universe when we see something unjust, then we have a duty to stand up to anyone in any position below God that is not acting morally right. It's not only acceptable, it's expected. Because that is what it means to be a blessing. Acting responsibly in the world is what made Abraham a good Jew at this moment in his life. But you see the story does not end here. Just because Abraham stood up once does not mean he's done. It does not mean that he gets the permanent status of being a blessing. Being a blessing is a relentless job. Being a good Jew does not end with one mitzvah. So Abraham is put to the test in today's Parsha, the binding of Isaac. 
Now, given his past performance, it should be a fairly easy test to pass. Abraham is called by God and told to take his son, his favorite one, the one that he loves, and to sacrifice him. In Sodom and Gomorrah, he does not know the people. He does not love the people, and yet he stands up for them with God. So what does Abraham do when he's told to kill his own son? Does he vayigash? Does he come forward and confront God? Does he say, Chalilalacha, who do you think you are? No. He does nothing. Abraham stays silent and accepts what he is told to do. And if you ask me, this is where Abraham fails the test. This is the first time he no longer is in partnership with God, trying to be a blessing and trying to create a just world. Now, Abraham is going along and accepting the world as it is. He's accepting what a high authority is saying without pushing back, without questioning, without protesting. What he is asked to do is insane. What he's asked to do is unethical. What he is asked to do is morally wrong. And since he stays silent, what does this do to Abraham's relationship with God? What does this do to Abraham's standing as the one to look to for how to be responsible for taking the world to how it ought to be? Now, what has always haunted me was what does God say to Abraham after he no longer argues? What does God say to a man who has lifted a knife to kill his own son? What does God say to Abraham after this total moral failure? Nothing. God never speaks to Abraham again. God's instructions to Abraham are the last words ever spoken to him. The moment that Abraham starts being silent in the face of injustice, he is no longer a blessing. In fact, it is God that tells Abraham not to kill Isaac. It's an angel. And when the angel tells Abraham not to kill Isaac, the Torah no longer refers to Isaac as Abraham's son that he loves. The word love, it's been conspicuously left out. And what does Isaac say to his father after he saw his father not defend him against God's unthinkable test? Isaac never speaks to his father for the rest of his life. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, she dies a few verses later. Abraham's life completely falls apart. And Abraham knows he failed. He realizes how he chose to be silent in the face of what was so obviously wrong. And Abraham, he looks down at the soil. He looks down at that dry earth. With his ears still ringing from the sound of the angel yelling at him, with his ears still ringing from the deafening silence left by God shutting him out. And he realizes he has lost his vision. He's lost his moral compass to be a light, to be a beacon to the world. And with tears in his eyes and disbelief in himself, he decides to name that mountain where he failed the test as a reminder for all of the generations that would follow, all the generations that would sit together on Rosh Hashanah, scratching their heads as they try to make sense of how a parent could remain silent in the face of such evil. And Abraham, he's whispering to all of us.
He names that place. He names that mountain where he loses his vision. Adonai Yerah. God has vision. Abraham leaves with the eternal reminder that on this mountain, there is vision. God's vision of an ethical and just world. Abraham knows that he failed to uphold that vision because it did not matter what Abraham felt. What mattered was what Abraham did or did not do. The mountain was the place that Abraham stopped visioning what the world could be and instead accepted the world as it was. Earlier in his life, Abraham had such a strong vision of justice and ethics and morality that he did not hesitate to use his voice. But over time, he lost his ability to be a partner with God, to be the one that did not just pray as if everything depended on God, but instead acted as if it depended on him, because it always did. Living in 2018 is difficult. It's confusing. And it's a gift. Because you know something? When Abraham was told that his city was going to be destroyed by God, that was difficult. That was confusing. And he turned it into a gift. Yet, when Abraham is told to kill his own son, it was difficult. I don't think it's very confusing. And he failed. This is what we are confronted with today. Being a people who are commanded to be a blessing, to engage with each other and the world, especially when it's difficult and uncomfortable. What it means to be a blessing, to be a good Jew, is that we are expected to act, we are expected to confront, we are expected to yell, we are expected to make noise when we see injustice in this world. When we look out at the landscape on what is external from us, you are only a blessing if you choose to react with an internal moral compass that envisions a world of justice. If we are shocked by the world and do not act, we are no longer in the narrative. We may have been appalled that our country turned refugees away. We may have been sick at the images of children being stripped from their parents at the border. But the test that we are given is not if we stood up once or if we stood up twice, but if time and again, no matter how tired we get from the constant barrage, we never stop. But we continually vayigash. We continually stand up in a position just like Abraham at Sodom and Gomorrah. That is what your responsibility is as a Jew. This is the question that we have to be asking ourselves on this day. Are we living our lives with a vision that we are here for a sacred purpose. When we saw something that was not as it should be, did we stand up? Did we use our voice? Did we use our agency? Were we blessings? Were we good Jews? We are living in a time where we're being constantly pummeled with news, with tweets, with lies, with injustice, and we may find that we are growing tired or not reacting the way we once did. That is what today is for, is to make every single moment a gift. Rosh Hashanah, it's meant to shock us awake, to make us reflect, to make us regret, to make us reorient, and to make us recharge as we vayigash into 5779. 
Being a Jew means we're expected to be a blessing. It means we have the responsibility, not just of ourselves and not just of our families, but for the entire world. Because we are responsible for the entire world. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. There are times in each generation when individuals and nations are tested. And this is one of those times. In this year, when I feel that disgust, when I see something so clearly wrong, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to try to hear that whisper that Abraham is pluring us with today. That vision only counts if it's followed with action. Our lives, our society, our country, and our world is looking to us to not accept the world as it is, but to be constantly dissatisfied until we move it to how it ought to be. That is our responsibility. It may be difficult, it may be confusing, yet it's our job to turn it into a gift so that 70 years from now, our descendants, just like those Danes today, will be proud when they talk about what we did and how we reacted to living in 2018. Shana Tova.